Blog Talk Radio. This is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric. Live online at blogtalkradio.com slash bcradio. Aloha! Tonight on BC Radio Live, we're going to talk with Charlie Boswell, the Director of Media and Entertainment at AMD. We'll also chat with Josh Kay, CEO of com. And finally, we are planning to hear from Eric Hyman, who is touring right now in support of his latest album, Resonate. We're going to do all of this short staff, but this is BC Radio Live. The chat room is now open at blogtalkradio.com slash radio, and the live video feed is now running. I am Philip Wynn, Chief Geek at BC Magazine, and I am joined tonight by Lisa McKay, Executive Editor of BC Magazine. Welcome, Lisa. Hey, Philip. How are you tonight? I'm doing all right. I, I, I keep needing to re-record that uh, intro that we have because it leaves out your name. Every week it says, this is BC Radio Live with Philip and Eric, and that is, that is rarely less true than tonight when, in fact, it's BC Radio Live with Philip and Lisa without Eric. Yes, for a change. <laughs> I, need to, I need to re-record that or make several versions or, or, or something like that. Yeah, you can put that somewhere towards the bottom of your to-do list probably. <laughs> yeah, that is, that is quite the problem. I'll, I'll get to it someday. <laughs> well, we, uh, we do have a few guests tonight, so let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, one might wonder, in fact, why a computer chip manufacturer has a director of media and entertainment, but our first guest has an answer to that. Charlie Boswell is that director for AMD, arguably, probably inarguably, Intel's biggest competitor. Uh, we'll talk to him maybe about his life at AMD, his experiences in the uh, music industry with folks such as Peter Frampton, uh, Dweezil Zappa, and more importantly, about the catastrophe, as he describes it, known as global nerding. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Charlie. Thank you very much. Pleasure to be here. <laughs> well, you're, uh, you're right down the road from me. I'm actually uh, broadcasting from Dallas, although Lisa, my co-host tonight, is uh, in somewhere in the Northeast, Connecticut, something like that. <laughs> uh, but you're calling from Austin, which is, of course, where AMD is, is located. So how is it? that AMD has a director of media and entertainment. Well, that's a very interesting story. It goes back to uh, the year 2000, at which time I was um, in my cube, you know, doing my engineering thing. And um, we had just hired uh, our new CEO, uh, Dr. Hector Ruiz. And he became our, you know, Jerry Sanders stepped down, and Hector joined us from Motorola. And uh, it just so happened uh, within that Several month period, I had done a film score for a low budget movie here in Austin, and um, Miracle of Miracles, it got me on Good Morning America for an interview uh, for technology people involved in the arts. And Hector happened to be watching television, and so when I flew back from Manhattan, he uh, said, "Hey, this Joker works for the company I'm going to be running. I, I ought to get to know this guy." And so uh, Hector and I had a um, you know sort of a historic meeting over in his office, and he said, "Charlie." Uh, I'm new CEO, and um, I've been selling, uh, you know, chips to this company, uh, you know, this company in Cupertino, uh, and uh, you know, Apple, and they seem to have a cult following in the arts. Uh, why is that, and why can't uh, why can't AMD be the leader there? And so 
we began to talk about that, and um, and really uh, he set me on the mission to to make sure that all of our technology uh, is most respectful of most respectful of the only relevant and most important computer you'll ever need, and that's the one that sits on your shoulders, the human right. mind. Now you seem to be concerned, if if I'm understanding correctly from what I, I've read, you're concerned about the effect that relying on external technology, not, not our own brains, but on the, uh, the computers, the phones, just all the, the different items that we use, you know, how, how much effect that's having on, on how we think. I mean, you have this theory uh, that I, I know has been titled The uh, Global Nerding and the Autistic Planet. Can you explain a little of that? I certainly can. Uh, you know, and it has to do with, uh, you know, what, what I've been afforded. I've been, I've been given a rare opportunity to uh, take our technology and watch it be embraced by some of the most creative minds in the world. George Lucas, uh, Robert Rodriguez here in Austin, who you, I'm sure you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and watching that, you know, and being an artist myself, I have a vested interest in seeing my tech, you know, making sure that I'm able to realize my aesthetic, whatever that is. And so as I've watched these, as I've watched, uh, you know, the, the, these really high-end creatives utilize the technology, um, I've come to realize that uh, the high-end artist is much like the regular person who's maybe been excluded from, from the technology. And by that I mean the, the creative mind has a vision. You know, I like to say the movie set is the mind. And, uh, and in order to, you know, and, and in popular, you know, we're all selling each other toys and, and, you know, ways to enhance that. But as that creative mind um, wants to realize that vision, uh, he utilizes some technology, some some tools and whatnot to 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 do that. But his chief goal in life is to realize a vision in his mind. The regular person on the outside of technology wants to be immersed in that creation. And I've seen the nerd culture sort of sit between those two people, or those two camps, if you will. And um, everything kind of works, but at a cost to the overall aesthetic. And and I can I can explain what I mean by that. Um, I think everybody gets when, you know, uh, you know, current, you know, in, in recent history, when a typewriter became a computer, everybody sort of nodded in agreement. Hey, this is a great thing. I can cut and paste. It's sort of a productivity, you know, at work sort of application. But as that computer now is being invited into that rarefied atmosphere of the brain where thoughts are, are, are you know, are incubated to become works of art or, or whatever, uh, that nerd culture, you know, can sort of, uh, you know, lower one's ability to do that. And by that I mean, you know, if you, if you in, in, the, in proper, in current nerd lexicon, you'll see words like framework. Well, I just kind of reject that whole idea. You know, I, I would prefer to... It's, it's architecture, but it's not something people should have to think about. Exactly. You know, and, uh, but anyway, um, so... It, the regular people and artists are very much the same person in the sense of one camp wants to be immersed in a creation, the other camp wants to wants to create. And so, what we strive to do, and, and what my, I'm sort of my I'm sort of I'm sort of the chief empathy officer for AMD, uh, as set out by Hector Ruiz to, to, in order to do that to ensure that um, this culture, uh, which I believe in, in in the aggregate, the entire industry has every attribute that an autistic person has, and, and by that I mean the inability to empathize with another mind, um, as evidenced by, you know, you know, high technology being, you know, arcane and difficult to use. If we're all so brilliant, why is that? 
and that's the topic of my book. Gotcha. Well, do you do you see? You mentioned that you 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 worked or you are working with musicians. You have worked with musicians, with with movie producers, directors. Do you see this this nerd culture, the danger of this nerd culture, affecting some of those creative people, or or do you do. see it really as an isolated thing? No, I absolutely I absolutely do, and it manifests itself in in this in this way. Um, a you know uh, you know a director might watch what Robert Rodriguez does does here in Austin with his you know he uses our technology to do some amazing things. right director of say Sin City and Sin City you know you know Sin City Once Upon a Time in Mexico uh, you know the Spy Kids stuff and they say God I want to do what Robert does and so they invite in the technology but along with it comes the nerd culture and so I'm a director I'm on set and I say you know. I'd really like to watch this alien. I, you know, he really has to pass through the wall, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, I want to create this halo effect around him when he does that. And he looks at his chief nerd, and the nerd says, well, you know, uh, I don't think we have enough render power to do that. Uh, how about, can we do this? And, uh, you know, and so with all that baggage, a lot, I've watched directors, which will go nameless, make aesthetic decisions, uh, based on some limitation that the technology may enforce. And so, uh, and, and how that relates to regular people is that, you know, a regular person might say, you know, I've only reset my computer twice today. You know, I've never been, I've never been this happy. Um, and, and then you take a teenager who says, you know, I've got, I can put 10,000 MP3s on my MP3 player. Well, MP3 sonically is, is just above a string in a can. And uh, it was created because of the bandwidth limitation of the Internet. And so I think that's good. You know, when the brain begins to say, I'm, my, I'm going to make a decision based on what the technology will allow, I think that's going the wrong direction. So you, you're, you're then saying, well, I mean, I guess there, there are two kind of follow-up questions I have to that. I mean, I, I guess part of the issue then is maybe directors or, or people in a position to direct who see, for example, Robert Rodriguez's you know, basically groundbreaking use of technology in his movies and think that the key to Rodriguez's success is the technology rather than the fact that the man is an artistic genius who filmed Once Upon a Time in Mexico with pretty much two tin cans and some string, and the technology only helped him. Exactly. The, the, the example I use with both George and Robert, uh, you know, both of those individuals, you know, work at the speed of thought. They are, they are the most intolerant people of technology that I've ever met. Uh, I'll give you an example. When George Lucas had the vision for Star Wars, there was no special effects industry. So what did he do? He invented it. And he's kept that same mindset that the movie set is the mind. I watch, I was on set with Robert uh, here shooting uh, uh, this movie called Shorts here in Austin. I was on set with him Monday or Tuesday. Uh, I, think it was, uh, I think it was Tuesday. And... Uh, uh, and I'm sorry, it was Monday, and we were out on set, and he actually is creating on set. You know, in other words, uh, when, we did, when we did Spy Kids, he would have the little girl dangling on a wire in, against a green screen, would be using our computers to composite against the background while the little girl was still dangling and making our, our aesthetic decisions on set. So both of these individuals, uh, their mind is, is what's making it happen. The technology... And my prescription is, is, is to not put the technology on top of these people, but to balance it perfectly with their artistic performance. This is a different story than 99.9% .9 of all technology companies are, are espousing. Now, it's interesting to me, backing up to something you said earlier, part of the, uh, 
the inspiration for all this was Dr. Ruiz's uh, relationship with Apple Computer. Yes. Now, of course, at the time, Apple Computer was uh, using PowerPC chips. I, I have to reveal myself, unfortunately, as a nerd, so I, I'm going to get a little geeky for a second. But Please do. But basically, um, you know, they, they, they finally made a big jump a couple of years ago. I think most people will be aware they finally started using the, the same rough type of chips that uh, Windows computers have used all along, but they went with AMD's biggest competitor, Intel. Well, um, you know, they, they that have got a <laughs> They have a history, Apple has a history of picking the wrong processor, and, and that <laughs> is, is certainly, uh, uh, but, but worse yet, they picked the wrong culture. And right, let me, let me point I'm out sure. something. Uh, you know, we were talking about music. If we take a look at you know, both iTunes and uh, if we take a look at things like GarageBand. Now, are you familiar with what GarageBand is? This is an Apple product. Yes. Um, but anyway, it would have the composer, and I'm a film composer, so this hits really close to my house here. Um, you know, for me to write music using snippets of pre-recorded music, that would be like me talking to you and your listening audience today. Instead of using words to form sentences to make my points, I would I'd be using pre-written paragraphs. Is that the friend of the mind? I don't think so. Um, iTunes, selling works of art a la carte, uh, here comes Sergeant Pepper's, uh, you know, uh, take, 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 taking that record, which is, was an integral piece of art, cutting it up and selling it piece by piece by piece. Apple is not the friend of the artist, but I digress. <laughs> um, well, yeah, that's interesting. Now, how much, though, of what you're talking about, I mean, you're talking about, um, you know, making technology work for creative people, making technology work for the everyday person, trying to dispel this weird nerdtastic aura that, that gets people wrapped up and, and, and waste time and waste effort. Um, but how much of that is possible working for a hardware company? I mean, in the end, you guys are doing chips, not software. Is that, is that a well, Absolutely. We, we are, in fact, you know, I mean, where I sit, you know, uh, we, we, we are the central processing unit and now the graphics unit for the platform. So, we are, you know, we're essentially ingredients, but again, speaking to AMD's culture and speaking to what Dr. Ruiz, his vision is, is to provide solutions and, you know, having me make these statements, these are bold statements I'm making, backed up by a culture that's committed to the end user experience. And, you know, all the happy talk aside, we measure, you know, we measure our, our success based on what people are able to do with our technology. And but my what, what this what this does for me or what it what the constraints that it puts on me is I must work with all AMD partners, but my role is to be the empath or the, the, the empathetic one who works with that end customer and brings all these other guys into into line. It's become so competitive, that's what I must do. Yeah, that is interesting. I I guess it'll be kind of now you you how many years have you been with AMD? I've been with AMD. Oh, I'm sorry, in the director of media entertainment role, I should say. I've been in the, I've been in the director uh, role of, of inter entertainment, the chief empathy officer, for eight years. Interesting. Twelve years total at, at AMD. You know, I've got you know I, I've you know been uh, you know had had great opportunity there. I've got eleven patents. Uh, the, the culture is very uh, innovative. Uh, you know, the friendly to the innovator, and you know the fact that I'm, you know, wasn't fired like two weeks into a job like this uh, <laughs> speaks um, to our commitment to that end user experience. I wonder how how many. I mean, I, I have to tell you that that before 
finding out that, that you'd been booked on the show and looking into what I could find out, I, I had not heard of this push by AMD. I had maybe barely heard that they were pushing into uh, you know, music. Obviously, you guys are doing a, a lot of stuff with sound. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was interesting, but I guess I didn't understand the overall you know, the focus, the creative drive. Are, are you having trouble getting the word out, or am I just, because I'm a nerd, I'm, I'm missing this? Well, no, it's, it's always a challenge to, you know, as, you know, to, 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 you know, as, as a semiconductor company, you know, uh, in talking about media and entertainment, there's a, there, there is a challenge there. But if you just take a cursory look on the Internet at, at, some, of the, at some of these movies, I mean, we've done everything from Clapton's Crossroads um, to, you know, to, you know, all of Lucas' stuff, uh, the last couple of the prequels, to all of Robert's movies, uh, that... Uh, we are, you know, we're not, we're not like the other guys in terms of like gratuitous famous people marketing. You know, right. if, you, if, if you look at the say, if you look at the difference between both uh, George Lucas and Robert Rodriguez and how far they set outside of Hollywood, uh, it, it's 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 pretty it's pretty dramatic. But uh, no, we are we are certainly uh, the choice of the creative pro in Hollywood with 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 the high end digital film with the high within the high end digital filmmaking uh, camp. Right. For all that they're sitting outside of Hollywood, they're also you know definitely known as the people pushing the limits of their technology. And in the case of uh, Robert Rodriguez, also creativity and talent. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, tell me a little bit about your musical career. You said you got into this actually by uh, writing some music for a film score, ending up on television. You've got music projects. I mean, you're not just relating to music musicians, create you know, creative directors, etc. As a, a technologist, you really do bridge the gap by being a musician yourself. Exactly. You know, I uh, I dropped out of music school. I grew up in the Midwest in the boyhood home of Walt Disney. And my first year was spent in, in, in music school, studying music. And then I, you know, my father was an engineer. My mother's a piano player. And, um, and so I think I was trying to prove something to the old man, really, more than anything else. But I've always been a musician. I'll always be a musician and a filmmaker. You know, growing up in the Midwest, you know, you're kind of forced to entertain yourself. And, um, and so, we, you know, I did a lot of movies growing up. And, and then... Um, you know, I took sort of my nerd journey. You know, I worked for you know I worked for NASA. You know, I've been in several startup companies in Boston, and um, and then I was working for an aerospace company here in uh, in Austin when I interviewed with AMD. But um, my goal as a as a creative person is to only invite technology that can help me realize my vision and. I challenge your entire listening audience to to kind of stand guard at your at your dreams at the at the gatepost of your mind. You know, when you invite technology in, if you're not you need to measure yourself. If you're not realizing your vision or if you're not productive within 24 hours, you need to utter five words. Give me my money back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I I mean I have to say I know you uh I'm not the creative type. I'm more of the uh, everyday user when I'm not nerding up myself. So for, from from the creative type's perspective, I actually do understand and, and empathize with your uh, your labeling of your competitor, Apple, as, as the uh, anti-creative company. Uh, what's interesting to me uh, as an average person is that part of the success of Apple in the last few years has been that they've managed to at least attract the everyday people by saying, you don't have to spend all day uh, patching, uh, dealing with viruses, uh, you know, dealing with all those things on a software level. 
So it seems like maybe they're they're heading after one end of your your three part spectrum, and you may be focusing at this point at least on the other end. Is that a fair assessment? You think? Well, you know, I mean, I, I point to I point to the iPod as a you know sort of a you know again I, I I say to the industry if we're all so brilliant, why do we look at that thing as like you know the messiah? Uh, you know, it's you know it, you know in in the, in the sea of this other technology, um, and that's why that's why I was compelled to write this book. And uh, because, you know, I think that, you know, everything from, um, you know, technology companies employing creative people to, to uh, you know, the culture, I, I believe that the, the, the products that come out of the culture are representative of that culture. And, uh, you know, the, the lack of empathy for that end user experience is what I'm seeing and what my company sees on, on, a, world, on a world scale. And so, uh, you know, you know, the, the, if you look at, at the Apple architecture, it's a closed architecture. You know, we, I work in the PC industry, which is an open, open architecture, economies of scale, many people, you know, contributing value to that. Uh, th that's all wonderful. But unless these, this sea of disparate technologies become solutions that are important to mankind, um, uh, it, it's 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 not it's not going to bode well. I, I think in terms of um, you know we talk about in, in my book you know the the you know the melting glaciers you know that that's you know and I'm certainly an advocate for you know low power and, and, and energy but I believe if if left unchecked the nerd culture is going to be responsible for the melting right hemisphere of the planet the brain the social mind of the planet and uh, and so I reject that. And I want to do whatever I can in my role to, to be the advocate for the human mind and for the regular person who's using technology. And again, if we're just going to market to nerds, it's hard to look smart with bad numbers. The nerd culture is relatively small. And so uh, this, is not about, this is not a culture bash. This is purely about business and sure. doing what's right for the planet. I think part of part of your concern must be though that though the nerd culture is very small and, and I agree that in terms of the number of people it is it it unfortunately seems to be uh unfortunately from your perspective I, at least seems to be either growing or maybe just having an outsized influence more than it probably should. Absolutely, you know, 30 years ago um you know a nerd couldn't even get a uh, my phone broke up there just a second can you still hear me? Yes, I can. Um, you know, the macroeconomics of the computer industry has been more or less a sort of a uh, a boom to nerd kind. Uh, you know, if you're you know if you're uh, you know you have some attributes in logic design and whatnot. You know, you're, you know that that whole thing on a world scale now. Entire economies are based on on technology, and um, and so you know it, it is a it, it's the situation where this very influential um, culture, I really believe, is fashioning a culture around it that's friendly to itself. It's almost cultivating itself in, you know, in a weird eugenics sort of way. Now, you're, you're using a lot of uh, terms, and I know you're, you're, you're making statements partly to, to draw attention, but I'm actually really intrigued by your comparison between, uh, you know, Say, for example, Al Gore gets up and goes through a presentation on global warming and manages to make people scared for the future of the planet. And, and your, your choice of, of labels, your choice of terminology, the way you talk about it, clearly 
I mean, that, that seems to be a little of what you're aiming for as well, to get people to realize this isn't just, you know, an idle cultural observation. Hey, did you notice people are getting more geeky? Um, but you, you actually see this as a, as a very, very serious danger, not just to the high-end creative people, um, but to everyone. Well, absolutely. You know, um, the mind, the human mind is, you know, for the neurotypical individual, the human mind is like a bird that wants to fly high. You know, it's got a big perspective. And when I see, a, you know, a culture that's beginning to drug children that cannot, quote, focus and act like a computer, uh, I have a problem with that. Um, and, uh, you know, having, uh, you know, also watching the language change. Language is sort of the software of the mind. You might think that, you know, the brain, uh, you know, forms a thought and, and then out comes language. Well, it's quite the opposite. You know, you're socialized in a, in a language framework. And as that framework, that language framework goes from ostensive communication, and I like to use a, you know, a Shakespeare example, you know, where he speaks ostensively. He wasn't writing a business journal, mind you, but, but anyway, the point is, you know, shall I describe thee as a summer's day? That's an ostensive word picture. But now this right. culture would say, you are this bulleted list. Right. Life is beginning to imitate technology. Language is the subtle sort of greenhouse, which I, I call the, the geek house effect of, of, of language. Now, these are, these are subtle, uh, but it's, it, it's you know, I'm, again, I'm not bashing the culture. This, I like the high concept from my, my work is a brave new world meets a beautiful mind. And so as we become enamored with the geek culture and whatnot, we have to understand that as that, you know, the, the first phase, which I call the, the classical phase, where the typewriter became a computer. Okay, everybody gets that. But now the quantum phase, where that computer moves close to the way I think and, and provides frameworks for my thinking, that's, that's, a, that's a quantum mechanical thing where um, I like to use the example of the aesthetic uncertainty. In other words, when you're in your mind and you invite whatever, you know, whatever piece of technology into that rarefied atmosphere, you run the risk if you're not cognizant of defining your art based on what this, because again, a computer is not just like a pencil or whatever. It's, it's a group mind of the people that developed it. So you run the risk of having brain by committee or mind by committee, and we all know what committee designs look like. Well, and I think that most people, you know, if they're having trouble relating to, to some of the concepts you're talking about, I mean, I think the, the advent of always available Internet, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll confess, I'm, I'm an iPhone user, and I thought using the Internet had previously stunted my brain. I find that I can't be bothered to remember things from day to day when I know I can just look it up. It's right there in my pocket. And, and I, I think about the fact that people used to memorize entire books or people in some cultures still memorize entire books, and yet I'm lucky to remember a, a phone number when it's right there in my pocket. I don't need to. That's right. Uh, you know, and you know, people will trade convenience uh, for quality uh, at any point in time. Uh, MP3 is a perfect example of that. Um, but the, the, the subtle boiling of the frog slowly uh, that, I'm, that I'm just raising the question, again, because I've been afforded by AMD's culture to have this amazing perspective of watching technology interact with the human mind, that I want to raise these flags about, uh, you know, the reverential respect we need to pay to the, to the mind and that any purveyor of any technology should be held accountable for how 
the quality of that of that experience, uh, what, what that what that means, you know, and, and what and what its effects are, and well. what its, its second order effects are. Um, you know, ultimately, I believe technology is going to be a control substance, uh, but that's out there a little bit. But again, I'm paid to I'm kind of paid to be out there. But um, <laughs> as you know, you know, the right hemisphere of the planet is 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 you know, it's like this. Um, the left hemisphere is writing a very detailed paragraph while the right hemisphere of the brain is putting a title on that paragraph. Um, and so we've got to make sure that uh, we don't lose our ability. And the, the concept in the mind is called central coherence. And, um, and I'm not a doctor, uh, but I, I study. And, uh, sure. and so we, 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 we've, got to, we've got to make sure that we don't follow Alice all the way down the rabbit hole on this thing without losing our ability to be the boss of the technology and always keep our mind at, that, at the ready uh, to, to make sure that we never have the conversation with ourselves that, oh, gee, I'm just stupid. I can't use this thing. Um, again, when, when any user of technology, uh, if, they, if they come to that point, again, I think they need to utter the five words, give me my money back. Now, you've mentioned a couple of times your book, um, unfortunately, I actually don't have information on your book. Can you tell me about the book and where it's available for people? Absolutely. absolutely. It, it, it's, a, it's a essentially, uh, you know, the high concept is a brave new world meets a beautiful mind. It is a, my public service announcement to the planet. Uh, it will be available later this year. Uh, I cannot talk about the publisher because I'm in negotiation with, with a couple. And... Um, but it is, uh, you know, talking about my experience in the, in the, in the technology field uh, with, with the creative minds. It's talking about the impact of language, uh, how technology impacts that. And I'm not just raising questions. I'm, 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 I'm providing what I feel is a very important uh, remedy for stemming the tide of global, nerd, global nerding. And that is, from the technology point of view, we need to involve more women. Um, women are centrally key to saving the planet from global, global nerding. And that has to do with ostensive language, communication, and empathy with the end user. And, um, and I'm proud to say, you know, AMD is certainly respective of that. And, uh, but, you know, as, a, as an industry, there is an absolute lack of women involved, and I think that's showing up in many regards. Whether it's geek on geek, in other words, some nerds, some... Uh, uh, committee standard, you know, that, you know, uh, you know that, that communication is slow, laborious, it, it slows down the industry, as well as uh, technology uh, that, that is, is purveyed that is not respective of the end user. I think women are central to fixing that inside the culture. And, uh, and then uh, also, uh, you know, sort of the, the you know, and I, again, I work on a, a research board here in Austin called thoughtfulhouse.org that works with the families of autistic children. And, um, and I, want to make, I want to do all within my power uh, with this book to raise awareness on autism and, uh, and to do what I can to, uh, to help uh, along that research, you know, applying some of the, you know, Robert Rodriguez is involved with it, and uh, to, to apply the technology to really help those children, help those families. Um, but I, uh, you know, it's, it's really strange the way that my, my independent research on autism based on, you know, what I see in my own industry, uh, you know, came to be used in, uh, in actually working with autistic kids. Yeah, it's anyway, interesting. Anyway, the book is about that. 
the, the history of computers actually has a lot of women in it. In fact, some of the earliest programmers, some of the earliest designers were women. So Absolutely. It, it, it's interesting to see how we've, I don't know, I, I view it as descended to a place where now I have two daughters and, and both of them can expect an uphill struggle to get involved in the industry. Well, yeah, you know, and uh, again, I don't think it's been a conscious thing that uh, people have done to exclude women, but uh, for whatever reason, that that culture, you know, that uh, sort of uh, bare message language culture, you are this bulleted list, has you know, uh, you know, has been mainly dominated by by men, and uh, and I think as an industry, we've paid the price, and uh, and so. I want to help raise awareness on that, and ultimately, my chief goal is to keep is to be the chief vanguard for the human mind and keep it always on top of the technology, and uh, and to make sure that that those technologies are respective of that end user experience. Gotcha. Well, thank you for spending time with us tonight. Uh, we, my pleasure. Uh, Hopefully, we'll be able to have you on again once your book is published, and we can kind of go through that in more detail. You certainly managed to uh, intrigue me quite a bit. Well, fantastic. Well, Charlie Boswell is the Director of Media and Entertainment for AMD, or as he refers to himself, the Chief Empathy Officer. Uh, do check out thoughtfulhouse.org. That's the, an organization for autistic children in Austin, Texas, with which he's involved. And uh, look for more details on his book, Explaining the Concept of uh, Global Nerding and the Autistic Planet, when it's available later this year. Thanks again, Charlie. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. All right, well, um, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll assume that the, the area code that I'm identifying here is the correct one. Um, Mother's Day is this Sunday, just four days from now as we broadcast on this fine Wednesday night. The mothers in your life may, however, be tired of flowers and almost certainly have mixed emotions about a box of chocolates. But wait, what about a cake? You don't need to spend all day Saturday shopping and baking and cleaning up only to produce a cake that, well, frankly, only a mother could love you could instead turn to BakeMeAWish.com. Uh, we are going to talk with the CEO of Bake Me A Wish, Josh Kay. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Josh. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Well, you have, um, and Lisa is on the phone with me. I'm Philip, and Lisa's on the phone with me as well. Uh, she may want to have a few questions for you. But I was looking around your side, and I have to say the concept seems pretty simple at first, but the more I thought about it over the last two days, the more interesting challenges arose. I mean, basically, to, to, to put this in one sentence, you ship cakes overnight. That is correct. Uh, we do gourmet flavored cakes, uh, quite a variety, 15 different flavors, and we ship them nationwide, guaranteed delivery, uh, for a person's special occasion, whether that's a birthday or, as you mentioned, Mother's Day. And, and it gets more complicated because as I poked around the site, I, I, for one thing, started to think about how on earth do you ship some of these amazing-looking cakes uh, and have them arrive in one piece. I mean, I, you know, they're, they're just some, some beautiful, beautiful pieces of art that look, you know, delicious as well. So that was one thing. Um, you've got some interesting things on there involving uh, keeping track of, of holidays, keeping track of special occasions, automated reminders. Um, this, this seems like a lot of effort. Oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yes. Uh, it's, it's been about four years since we started the company, and certainly through that time, we've developed a a, a very good uh, way to ship these packages. Um, it is it does come in a refrigerated packaging with ice packs to keep the cake cold. Uh, many of them do have frosting, 
uh, to address your first question. Uh, we do ship them via Federal Express, so they do go, uh, you know, standard overnight and two-day uh, in order to arrive in time and stay intact. They cannot be out longer, of course, than three days. It's a perishable item that you're dealing with. So let's let's talk about Mother's Day, since you know it is this Sunday. It's it's really late on Wednesday right now. Any cake ordered now will be processed on Thursday because you've got a 3 p.m. Eastern cutoff. How much is it going to cost me to order a cake on say Thursday, or even or even before 3 p.m. on Friday? and have it arrive in time for Mother's Day? Well, we actually uh, we have a standard shipping price and uh, standard cake. Any order that we receive on a day, we get out by 3 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, and it can arrive the next day, so there's still time for Mother's Day. Uh, you can order all day tomorrow up until 3 p.m. Eastern to arrive Friday, or up until 3 p.m. Eastern to arrive on Saturday. Uh, for cakes arriving that you can order uh, to arrive for Friday, those would cost $55.90. That includes the shipping. Uh, that's for a gourmet flavor cake. Um, and then we also have two other types of cakes. We have single layer brownie cakes. Uh, those ship out for $34.99 plus only $9.95 for the shipping. So uh, under $50 there. And also we have uh, gourmet crumb cakes that also ship out for with $9.95 shipping. And those are under $40 to ship. Well, I, I think that anybody who actually takes the time to go to bakemeawish.com uh, which is just as it sounds, bakemeawish.com, and clicks on order cakes is going to find themselves bookmarking that and uh, ordering a cake at some point, if not necessarily for Mother's Day. I mean, I'm looking at chocolate mousse torte cake, tiramisu classico cake, oh gosh, cafe au lait cheesecake cake, triple brown or triple chocolate enrobed brownie cake. My personal favorite. <laughs> I, I make oh, and that is, huh? I will have to. I've ordered one for myself. They're very tempting and beautiful. <laughs> Thank you very much. Josh, you can order it yourself for Mother's Day, Lisa. Yes, seriously. <laughs> Happy Mother's Day to me. <laughs> Josh, which is most popular on this list? What, what do you sell the most of? Sure, great question. Actually, the chocolate mousse tort is our most popular. Uh, we also sell quite a bit of the tiramisu, and the red velvet is a very popular southern uh, cake. It sells a lot in the south. Yeah, that's we uh, we make stuff. a lot of those in my southern house, actually. There, there you go. <laughs> uh, also, I did want to mention that too. We are Italian house. <laughs> the tiramisu would be perfect then. There Absolutely. You go. I did want to mention real quick that we do um, also have a program called Operation Birthday Cake. We ship uh, birthday cakes. Actually, the decadent delights that you see. We ship those to soldiers uh, serving in Iraq and Afghanistan overseas. Uh, we do about 5,000 cakes a year with that program. Wow. Yes, yeah, it's, it's a really a, such a delight for the soldier to be able to, to celebrate and, and have a piece of home while they're uh, so far away and so isolated. How did you well, get interested the site in is, that? I'm sorry? How did, how did you get involved in that? That's a, a, great, a great thing to do. Oh, thank you very much. Uh, it's, it's interesting. About two years ago, we had a mother call the company and ask if she could ship a cake to her son who's serving in Iraq. And, uh, you know, it, we really said no at first, but then we got to thinking about it. We had to develop a, a special shipping type and a special cake type to be able to do it. But we eventually we were able to get a cake over to a rack in one piece and fresh. Um, and it, it was really more important what it did to the soldier than, than, you know, than the mother who wanted to give it. The soldier was, it just really boosted his morale. Uh, and we thought, you know, hey, what a great idea. What if we could get a birthday cake to every American soldier who's serving overseas? So that's, that, that's the beginning of the program, and that's really what, what our end goal is. That's pretty cool. 
Well, in addition to the uh, birthday cake for armed forces overseas, uh, they also have 10% discounts on ordering two cakes or more. There are exclusive jewelry offers for people who order cakes. You guys do seem to keep it. Uh, uh, it's it's very nice. It's it's more amazing than it sounds from the simple initial description of shipping cakes overnight. <laughs> I mean, it's the, interesting the when I tell people that I sell cakes, uh, and then they you know they get a look at our website and they see really what uh, it's quite a business. Well, the site is bakemeawish.com. You can order cakes, as was mentioned earlier, starting at uh, under $40 with shipping, or you can go all out and step up to the $56 masterpieces. And if you order by 3 p.m. Friday, you can have it delivered in time for Mother's Day. Thanks very much for telling us about it, Josh. Thank you very much for having me. Well, our final guest of the evening is our final guest in part because he spent the first half of the show performing. Uh, we're going to talk with Eric Hyman in a minute, but first let's listen to part of a track from his latest album. This is called Little Boy Blue. Eric Hyman's new album, Resonate. You can find Eric's site at erichyman.com. That's E-R-I-C-H-I-M-A-N.com or myspace.com slash Hyman. And BC Magazine has featured many reviews and even interviews with Eric in the past, but now we get to talk to him live on the air. Welcome to BC Radio Live, Eric. Thank you for having me. You know, I, I mentioned that we've covered. Now, you, you've just come from performing about, uh, gosh, 15 minutes ago. Now you're you're in Nashville <laughs> like actually five. I'm like putting my equipment in my car. <laughs> well, thank you for uh, for breaking away so soon to uh, to come talk to us. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. I, I mentioned that we've covered you a lot in BC Magazine. In fact, it, it's almost embarrassing. I, I looked it up this afternoon because I, I knew I'd seen your name. I knew I'd seen some stuff about you. Our music editor, Connie Phillips. First heard you in, in July 2005. She quickly snapped up your your then current release, Dark Horse. Reviewed that album for for BC Magazine. Then ordered and reviewed One Night Stands when you released that live album. Uh, then it get, it gets worse. I mean better. She <laughs> she named your song Clyde from Dark Horse as her favorite song of 2005, uh, as well as picking you as her best. Solo artist of 2005. Oh, that's great. She apologized for picking you in two different categories as she was wrapping up the year's best of, but it didn't stop her from actually doing it. Oh, that's great. 
And then, oh, that's, and then that's the way that artists like me, independent artists, like, keep out there is by people like Connie. Well, it keeps going because when you released Everywhere All at Once in 2006, then she named you as BC Magazine's featured artist for the first week of October of that year and uh, worked in both an interview and an album review tied to that. <laughs> you've, got your, you've got your new album out now, Resonate, just came out a month or two ago. And yeah, the beginning of the I bet month. you can guess who reviewed it for our site. Uh, it would be Connie Phillips. Well, she, I'm, she I'm lucky to have her on my side. <laughs> now, you do have, uh, you, you have a great style. It seems like uh, it, you, uh, I think every review I've read says, oh, I expect great things from, uh, from Eric in the future. And uh, it, yet it seems like your overnight success is taking a, quite a number of years to, to slowly <laughs> build. It's never an overnight success. No. One of these no. days, though. <laughs> well, I don't know. The the thing about being independent is is like you. That's the mentality I had when I started, was that it just doesn't happen overnight. You gotta you gotta talk to people and you gotta get out there and you gotta, you know, one by one, like listener by listener, you gotta make that connection and you know then glorious things happen. You have somebody like Connie who who writes about it and and everything I put out. They just get more and more invested. So it's it's really, I don't know, I, I enjoy the way that that's been going, the progression of it. Well, good. And you've been you've been touring a lot as well in support of this album. You've put out actually a number of albums. I didn't even, I, I think, mention them all. <laughs> just the ones that Connie <laughs> has managed to review for us. Uh, well, you've heard, we I mentioned... grow every year. Like when you, to- when you play out so much, like your skills, it's like kind of rapid. Like you get you get better acquainted with your guitar and your instruments and your voice. So in a year you have you've gone so far that you just document it and then every year I've been like putting out these CDs. So now are they kind of, are they all through Thumb Crown Records? That's your your current little indie label, right? Yes. And they're all through that label. Yep, I put them out all myself uh, through my record label and I'm a business and everything and try to run a. Try to run a great operation. Well, I think let's see here. Um, caller, you're on the line. Hello. Hi, Connie. Hi, Philip. Hi, Eric. How are you doing? Hi, Connie. How are you doing? I'm doing really good. Oh, thanks for calling in. No Connie problem. Was sitting, Connie was sitting in the chat room complaining that I was picking on her, so I suggested <laughs> that she uh, she call in and and stick up for herself. I don't oh, think there's anything awesome. wrong with being a fan. No, not at all. A friend. <laughs> well, you were uh, you're doing a lot of touring, as I was starting to say, in support of the new album. You were in uh, Nashville tonight. Of course, people have, have missed you now because uh, you're you're done with that and talking to us. Uh, yes. <laughs> You'll be in Atlanta tomorrow. Yes. Be in uh, Norfolk and Richmond and Charlottesville in Virginia next week, as well as see, Washington yeah. D.C. Um, then Philadelphia, New York, Pittsburgh, more Pittsburgh, very popular there, eh? Oh, a nice uh, gay pride picnic, it looks like, in the middle of the day. That's always lovely. Yes. Uh, Chicago, Detroit, Tulsa, Spokane, Louisville, Baltimore, State College, Pennsylvania, Fredericksburg, Virginia. So you're going to be uh, around quite a bit, mostly it looks like in the east, but uh, dipping over to Illinois, to Oklahoma, and then all the way out to Washington, yeah. Pride. That's uh, that's 
Actually, Quite a jump. came from the West Coast. <laughs> I was say, you were out West before Resonate. Yeah, I was uh, hit, I right? back a week ago. Yeah, from, from like San Diego and L.A. and Phoenix and Seattle and Portland. and I'm tired. <laughs> <laughs> well, we do, we do appreciate your taking the time and to talk to us. And Philip, he's been oh, gosh, doing yeah. the, um, his video blogs from the road also that he has on the website. That's oh, right. Yeah. If you go to myspace.com uh, slash Eric Hyman, that's E-R-I-C-H-I-M-A-N, you will see actually a bunch of tracks from uh, all the different, are these mostly songs off the new album it looks like so far. And then over at erichyman.com, there's still more. So check out both sites. Yes, check them both out. Yeah, there's the promo Bloody videos. You've got tour news. So are you determined to uh, make a go as an indie artist uh, with your own label forever, or are you at some point willing to uh, talk to major labels when they keep beating down your door? Uh, you know what? I've always said I was never put off from, from somebody who wanted to give my music more exposure, mm-hmm. whether it be a major label, whether it be a company, whether it be a major label or a company or um, anybody who wanted to invest in me. I just, the only uh, thing that I always said was they have to take me pretty much as I am, you know? Right. And, and I think that's the thing that I've been lucky enough to be able to do is show a natural progression of my music from when I started to now and be able to say what I want to say and, and be able to extend my creativity into my CDs and my live shows. And I don't know, nobody's really uh, ever tried to hinder that. So I'm hoping that eventually, you know, people will find it on their own or find it through through uh, great websites like yourself. And I don't know, just get out there. That's good. So the idea, I mean, I'm not going to turn down, you know, more exposure just so long as basically you can keep that, you know, indie sensibility, the 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 image and the, the attitude. My and integrity. The <laughs> yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that would take some of the fun out of it, though, because you'd end up doing music all the time instead of having to uh, spend all your time dealing with, you know, organizing tours and the business of putting together a record label. I mean, I don't even know what kind of music I'd put together if all I had to do was that. <laughs> <laughs> a sudden if I had somebody doing everything else, I'd be like, wow, I wonder how experimental my music would end up being. <laughs> Well, your your music has shown a natural progression. Um, I've listened to a little bit of it. Connie's actually uh, listened to a bit more of it, I think, than than any of us. Uh, Connie, what what? How would you describe how you've seen uh, you know Eric's music progress over time, or or Eric? How would you describe it yourself? Well, if Connie wants to answer first. Well, I think the biggest thing. I mean, it's. You've basically stayed true to the style, the folk and the rock and the blues style, but the production quality, I think, has, has you know, with each album, has, has stepped up a little bit. You're, and that, that probably comes with, with doing more and having uh, more resources. But um, that was a big, and this Resonate really has just a really polished sound to it throughout. And how about, how about you, Eric? Uh, I don't know. I, I can. I was actually funny enough. Like people ask me to play older songs of mine, and I never know. I like the more songs, the more CDs you put out, the more you forget the previous ones. 
<laughs> so it's like you end up sitting in your car, like studying yourself. And I put in all these old old CDs to learn the <laughs> learn the words back to myself. And I swear, like sometimes, like I really noticed the progression in my first CD, even to my third one, to now because you just you kind of fine tune the things that that you that come with age. You know, you learn your craft a little better, you learn your voice a little better by songwriting. Everything kind of tightens up to where you want it to be. Of course, I wouldn't sound the same as I did when I was 21 at, like, 29. Sure. You know, you got to right. grow somehow. Yeah, is, it mostly, yeah, is it mostly... Is it mostly lyrical changes, you think, a, a progression over time with age? Oh, no. Like, music as well. The mu- like, you just... I've been influenced by so many different types of music during, mm-hmm. I don't know, during my years... You know, there was a whole period where all I was listening to was was straight up blues, like Muddy Waters and Etta James and right. all these great blues artists. And then there was a time when I was listening to all these like '80s um, power ballad people, like Phil Collins and Simply Red and Crowded House. Well, so far, you're describing my listening habits over the last uh, few years as well. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, like everybody, I think goes through these little phases. You know. Mm-hmm. Of like different things, and I I can't help but be affected by by what I'm listening to and and being inspired by it. What's your most recent listening phase? Like, what are you listening to right now when it's not your own songs to remember the lyrics? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I've been listening a lot to my friends. That's oh. something that I really haven't been able to do is like listening to my peers, listening to friends of mine like Coyote Grace and Anomaly Brennett. Just people who I had the the privilege of sharing the stage with and getting to know as people, like I have to say that's the coolest thing in the world for me is to be able to go, you know, to turn to my friends and go, you're amazing and I know you, you know, right, and yeah, and kind of like write songs with them and I don't know, I think that's something that's been really new and very cool for me. Well, I think you, you've got a lot of friends who are probably would, would say the same thing if they had a chance. Uh, you know, you're amazing, uh, and I know you. Um, <laughs> now, when, you, when you're touring to, to see these locations, it, is it a mixture of, of playing by yourself or playing with other artists? I noticed some of the posters you've got on your MySpace. You've got, uh, you know, local musicians appearing with you as you visit some cities. Uh, some of them, it looks like it's probably a, a larger event where you're sharing a stage with a lot of folks throughout the day. Are, are you mixing it up a lot, or do you do you have you ever toured with you know just like one other artist or one other band over multiple dates? Oh yeah, I just did a tour with a friend of mine all through the West Coast and the and a little bit in the East Coast, and then I toured with uh, the girl who sings backup on a lot of my CDs and also on Resonate. Her name is Andy Moore. Um, I toured with her all through 2004, and then my friend Levi Levi Christ, I toured with him. So. Um, yeah, I just I have stints where I do tour with the same people for maybe like a, a leg of a tour. Even on Coyote Grace, I did a few dates with the same with Anomaly. I don't know, but I, I try to mix it up, and I'm trying to do that more and more. Is is kind of be with another artist and and do a lot of the dates together. Gotcha. And be a little more. Eric, are these shows mostly acoustic that you're doing right now? Like when I saw you back in. Um the 2002 fellow, <laughs> or are you performing with a band now? I, I'm actually performing this leg of the tour as a solo artist and then going back to Tulsa where I live and I have a band 
and we're going to kick it up band style and uh, see how that goes. So there's a few dates with, with a band in, in between, but I think I'm going to start focusing more on band shows and see how far I can pull them out of Tulsa. Interesting. Which will now, be a new, uh, are you... Are you planning to come to uh, Dallas anytime soon? That happens to be where I am. Oh, yeah. Well, um, I think... Probably I just missed you. Dallas. No, you just missed me uh, the, the beginning of April, but I have plans to swing back through with my band. So oh, nice. you will probably be the first to see uh, see our little group. We actually did one other show together um, outside of Tulsa. We played South by Southwest in Austin. Okay, right. Yeah, band. down in Austin, the big, uh, the big indie music festival every year that uh, every year I managed to miss, despite it being roughly two hours down the road from me. Oh, that's crazy, though. It's hard to even get in there. <laughs> yeah, I need to, I need to make the time. I need to block it out because uh, I'm going to miss out on a lot of, uh, a lot of guys like you. Otherwise, so you, well, you did have the band down, uh, down at South by Southwest. Yeah, we, I had, uh, it was me. Uh, the girl who sings backup, she also played Andy Moore, and then my bass player and my drummer, Jimmy and Angel Adams. Gotcha. So, okay. It was packed. It was crazy. So I'm looking forward to taking them on the road with me again. Well, very good. Well, uh, Connie, do you have any more any more questions now that I've managed uh, to, to drag you on? I'm wondering how that Ann Arbor date's coming you were telling me about. I don't see it on the schedule yet. I'm still trying to work it. There's one date on the 31st in the Detroit Ann Arbor area that I've been pushing for, so I'm hoping it t- pops up real soon. Right, because you had Detroit on the 1st of June. Okay, well, I'll, be, I'll keep watching the, the website for it. Maybe we'll I will see send you an Arbor. email, Connie. I will keep you okay. updated. Do not worry. <laughs> all right. Thank you so much for all the exposure. Oh, no problem. You really well, see now, me. Thank she's, you. She's slowly building disciples, because, I mean, I have to admit, I mean, I... I've met Connie. I know Connie. I, I, I like her. I, I didn't really know much about her musical taste, and so. But now, now that I've heard you, I have to say I'm gonna I'm gonna be ordering a copy of the album, at least the most recent album myself. And maybe we'll uh, we'll increase your exposure even more the more uh, more of us dig. That's how we get out there. That's how us indie artists get out there. Well, the websites again are myspace.com slash Eric Hyman or erichyman.com. That's E R I C H I M A N. Uh, you can find out more about Eric's current tour on either one of those sites and try to catch him on the road. The new album is Resonate. You can order that too. It's available from all your fine electronic retailers uh, like iTunes, the much pilloried by our last guest, iTunes. <laughs> Um, oh, well, what can you do? Our music editor, Connie Phillips, will, of course, thank you if you order the album and support Eric. And I, I bet Eric will uh, will thank you, too. <laughs> thank, thank you very much. Thank you so much, show, Eric. Well, thank you also again to Josh Kay and Charlie Boswell from earlier in the show. And, of course, to my co-host, Lisa McKay, who has helped immensely as I struggled through a show without our usual co-host facing tech issues all the while. Thank you also to Tony Phillips for calling in at the last minute and, and helping out. Uh, Eric will be back next week. I am Philip Wynn, and this has been DC Radio Live. We broadcast live every Wednesday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, Eric or no Eric. So be sure to visit us live to participate in the chat room, watch the live video feed. If you missed the live broadcast, audio archives are available online, or you can subscribe to the podcast 
to have DC Radio Live delivered to you each and every week. Until next week, aloha!